Well, I had so much fun last week that I wanted to come back uh, from Norwalk, and I figured gas is so cheap, I might as well, right? So, uh, yeah, my name's Joe. If you've never met me, I get to lead our high school and young adult ministries at the chapel, and I am honored to be with you at our Port Clinton campus again. If you are a guest with us for the first time, special welcome to you. Uh, yeah, if you ever need to contact me, my email is up on the screen there as well, too. And uh, I want to let you know a couple of things coming up. Uh, first of all, Easter is right around the corner. And you might be thinking, come on, man, I just took down my Christmas tree yesterday. And uh, no, but it is, it is coming up. And I am so excited. Easter is one of my favorite times to celebrate together. I feel like that really ushers in spring. And, you know, being outside this morning, you're probably like me and you just can't wait. So to let you know, uh, Good Friday services are are going to be at all, all three of our campuses at 12, 10. Uh, so if you get a lunch break and you can come to that one, or 6, 10 if you want to come after work. So that's on Good Friday. And then for the Easter services, if you want to go to a Saturday service, <clears throat> you can join us at Sandusky. You can join me over in uh, Norwalk. That's Saturday at 5 p.m. at those two campuses. And right here at the Port Clinton campus, it is going to be on Sunday, April 17th at 8, 30, 10 and 11.30 a.m. So, and if you forget those times, you need to share them with others. Those times are available on the app or on the website as well, too. So we are continuing <clears throat> this series on the book that we've been reading together as a church called Gentle and Lowly. And there's this saying, it has been said, that God moves in mysterious ways. But you don't have to, so please use your turning signal when you're driving. You're going to laugh at that when you get that on the way home. All right. That was funny. Okay, so basically that whole idea is that God operates differently from us in ways that we don't always understand. Now, I want to ask you this. Do you, do you ever think that you know what's best? <clears throat> Every teenager in here better raise their hand right now. All right, what about your kids? You, your kids think you know what's best. I mean, think about this. I don't know if you have any young kids. I've got a six-year-old at home. Like, what would happen if you let your kids make 100% of their decisions for just one week? All right, I mean, do you think that that would go well Maybe it'd be fun, that's for sure. But do you think you know what's better for your life than God does? Now, of course, we wouldn't say yes, right? But in a thousand ways, every day, we say, yeah, we say that with our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes. We say that we think we know what's better for our life than God. You know, and this isn't a new problem. Ever since, you know, the fall of humanity with Adam and Eve, um, through, through Jesus' baptism, all the way up to this point, every human, including you and I, are the disciples have believed that our way is best. And what, what Jesus' disciples learned then, and what you and I are going to learn today, is that God's ways, God's thoughts and his ways are always best. Now, that's a bold statement. And if we're honest, there's times in our lives when God's thoughts and ways, honestly, they don't seem best, right? You know, maybe you've suffered the loss of a loved one recently. I shared last week about a young man that I've been mentoring who's losing his mom, and I just, I, I don't understand. How can I tell him, hey, this is, the, God's ways are best, right? That just doesn't sit well in his heart. It doesn't sit well in my heart. Maybe you're struggling at a job that you hate, or you hate it, but you need it. You have to have it because you need the benefits. You need the pain. You just don't understand. Maybe there's a, a, you have a child or, or children that you love, and you just don't know how to handle them. There's a million different situations where it doesn't seem like what's happening is the best. You see, all of us go through situations in life that make us question if God's ways are best for us. 
And I want to tell you a story. Some of you know my story. Some of you don't know my story. But I was, I was married previously. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a background, not to air on my dirty laundry, but just to tell you some, some stuff, all right? Um, 2007, I had been married um, to my first wife, and, and I had a severe drinking problem that God freed me from, okay? And I decided in 2007 that I was going to, at that time, make the stupidest decision I ever made, and I walked out of my, my wife and kids because I wanted, I liked, I liked to party, and like that was my life. That's what I was, I was a bartender at the time. That's what my life revolved around, and I saw my wife and my kids as a burden to that. And so I walked out of my wife and kids, and you know, a little bit later, I started dating this, this woman who, actually, she went to the chapel, and her mom made me come to the chapel for the first time, and I hadn't been in church in like a decade, and I, trust me, I didn't want to go, but I went for the first time, and I liked it. It was at the Sandusky campus because, you know, the music was good. I enjoyed listening to the, to the pastors, and I was like, okay, this is good, and I also liked the fact that they had coffee because there were times when I would have two drinks before I got to the 9 a.m. service. I mean, I was a wreck, and time went on, and God started to move in my life, and, you know, there was this moment in my life where, uh, you know, I, I, said, I said to Jesus, I was literally on the floor in my basement, I said, Jesus, if, if you will take, because I didn't believe any of this. I said, Jesus, if you'll take away this drinking, then I'll live the rest of my life for you. And I don't know if you should make an ultimatum with God like that, but there was no thunder, no lightning, no voice from the heavens, but boom, just like that, something changed in me, and I knew that I was, I was free from that. And I woke up the next morning, and I, was, and I knew something was different, and I knew that I was never going to drink again. And I told my friends and my family, and None of them believed it, but it was June 15th of 2008, and it was the first Father's Day that I ever spent sober with my kids, and this year will be the 15th, thanks to God, and yeah, that's, I, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, only God could have done that, but one of the things that I felt like right away was that, that, okay, I was still legally married to my first wife, living with this woman, now I call myself a Christian, this isn't right, and so I felt God calling me to try to reconcile my marriage, so I did. I literally packed up my stuff in my SUV and I just, I left and I was going to reconcile my marriage just out of the blue, all right? And, you know, my previous wife, we went through some counseling and stuff, but ultimately, you know, the damage had been done. And so in 2009, um, we were divorced. And I'll tell you what, I was so mad at God. I was so mad because I was like, God, why would you call me to leave this relationship I was happy in? to like give me a heart to like reconcile with my family. And I was like, hey, everything's going to be back together and it's going to be great. I'm going to write a book about this someday. And then it all fell apart. And I was so mad. I was so mad because I thought I knew. See, what I happened was like I had broken my life into a million pieces. I wanted God to take all those pieces and put them back together the way that they were or the way that I thought they should be. But you see, God had a different plan. And at the time, I didn't know it, but his plan was going to be the best. You see, a while later, a woman came into my life named Marlena, and if, if there was anybody who didn't deserve a second chance at marriage, it was me. And not only a second chance at marriage, but no offense, I have the best wife. She married up, I mean, I married up, she settled down, okay? Like, I got the better end of the deal. She's incredible. And you know what? She became an incredible stepmom to my kids. Um, we had a child together, and it's nothing that I could have ever pictured, and I'm not saying it was God's will for me to mess up my first marriage, but God has done some incredible things, and you know, here's our family now, and, and we have an incredible family because of what God redeemed from my terrible decision, but in the time, I could not understand why God would let that fail, 
And so how do we know, how do we trust in the middle of it that God's ways are best? Well, we can trust his ways are best because he tells us. What happens is we tend to project our natural expectations about who God is onto him. Instead of letting the Bible surprise us with who God himself says he is, we run into trouble when we humanize God, when we think God is like us. We don't get to tell God who he is. God tells us who he is. Have you ever really thought you knew someone based upon initial appearance or, 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 or their actions right away and you thought you had a pretty good idea of who that person was? and then later on found out that you were completely wrong? Or have you ever had somebody that really thought that they knew you based on an initial judgment and turns out that they weren't even close, right? So our view of God must change. And thank God that we have his word to rely on, which is one of our values here at the chapel, our first value. And so we're gonna be in Isaiah chapter 55 this morning. So if you have your Bible and you wanna open to Isaiah 55, if you wanna use the YouVersion app on your phone, you're welcome to. We'll also have the text on the screen this morning. But we're gonna be here for a bit, and I wanna go here because I want us to see what God says about his thoughts and his ways. He says this, through the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In this passage, we see who God is and three reasons why God's thoughts and ways are best. First, his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. Now, the word thought here doesn't just refer to what God is thinking, but it also refers to his intentions or plan for this world and specifically for us as followers of Jesus. And not only does God think differently than we do. He has a different perspective. You know, we think that we know it all, but we don't understand that we only see a tiny glimpse of time, and especially our lives, right? But God has a a 30,000-foot view of all of this. And, And because of that, not only that, but God is sovereign, which means he is completely in control. God is in control because he has the power, he has the authority, and he has the viewpoint to do so. You know, the question that is often posed sometimes when you talk about God being sovereign, right, is, well, then why do, good thing, why do bad things happen to good people, right? If God is good, and if God is in control, and if God, and if God is loving, then why would he allow bad things to happen to good people. Now, I have answers to that question. Logical, um, theological answers that, that make sense, that can answer that question, right? But what I have found is that if you're here this morning and you're, in, in, and you're struggling through a painful situation in your life, those answers don't take the pain away. And we're tempted to think that that because as followers of Jesus, that because we are God's children, our lives should be easier, they should be more predictable, and they should definitely be more comfortable than others. But you see, that's not what the Bible teaches. Instead, it reveals that struggles are a part of God's plan for you. So this means that you, if you are God's child, if you would call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you must never allow you, yourself to think that the hard things that you're going through are failures of God's character, promises, his power, or his plan. 
I know this is hard to hear, and I know it's harder to believe if you're struggling right now. But sometimes the things that we see as bad, God is using for our good. My daughter Maya, when she was seven years old, she started having back problems, like back pain. I went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, well, I want to run some tests on, you know, to check her kidneys and stuff. And I was like, come on, it's just a muscle, you, you know, whatever. Well, they ran these tests, and we got a call and found out she had a, a, a severe kidney problem. And so we had to go to Cleveland Clinic, and, you know, they set up everything. She was going to have to have surgery, and they were going to be able to repair the issue with the kidney to save her kidney. And I remember the day of the, we were at the Cleveland Clinic, and, you know, she's in her, she's, she's on the bed, and we're wheeling her back to the operation room, and, and I was, only one person could go with her, and her mom wanted me to go, because she, she couldn't handle it. And uh, I just remember Maya laying in this bed, and they had given her a stuffed owl, and she's holding onto it, she's holding my hand, and I, and I helped the anesthesiologist put the mask over her face that would, you know, help her to fall asleep, and I just remember her looking into my eyes, so afraid, and I'm, and I'm just, I'm crying. I'm just wrecked at this, right? And, and what I see here, what I think here is Maya, my daughter, is probably looking at me and saying, why are you not only allowing this to happen to me, but it's almost like you're helping it to happen to me. Now, I could explain to my seven-year-old daughter the benefits of getting rid of the hydronephrosis problem that she has and being able to save her kidney and get her other kidney, you know, working properly and all of this stuff. But her seven-year-old brain can't comprehend that. All she can comprehend is the scary thing she's going through right now. And even if she did understand that, that's not going to take away the pain of what she's going to experience. And the other thing, too, is that it didn't give me any pleasure whatsoever to help the doctors put her through that. But I knew that it was good for the future. Because we have to trust God and we have to understand that his ways are beyond our ways. Not only are his thoughts, intentions, and plans nothing like ours, but his ways are also far beyond our ways. And this should instill comfort into our hearts today. Because the word ways refers to his conduct, his course of action, how he operates, and what he actually does for us. And so I see God, almost in myself in that moment, looking down on his child who is so afraid and, and, in, and, in, and in suffering... And, and God is not some far-off, distant God who's just standing there watching it happen, but he's there with her. He's there with you. Why is this important? Because here's what happens. When we put God in a human-sized box, when we think God is like us, then we're going to limit our understanding of his, of his mercy, his compassion, and his grace, and his love towards us. Can we fully understand God's compassion, grace, and mercy? No. But can we experience it and trust it even when we don't completely understand it? Yes. Yes. The Apostle Paul even prayed this in Ephesians 3 when he prays, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. We don't have to completely understand something to fully experience it. Because God's ways are not, only, not just different than ours, they are higher. His thoughts of love, of compassion, are more magnificent, more splendid, more incredible than we could ever possibly understand. I love when Dane Ortland, Ortland, the author of Gentle and Lowly, says this in the book. He says, God's ways and thoughts are not our ways and thoughts, and that his are thoughts of his 
our thoughts of love and ways of compassion that stretch to a degree beyond our mental horizon. And I understand that that's a hard pill to swallow, especially because many of us think our ways and our thoughts are better than every, everyone else's and especially and even sometimes better than God's. His thoughts and ways are higher than our thoughts. The question is, are you and I okay with that? But here's the beauty of God. You would think that a God so holy, so perfect, whose thoughts and ways are higher than our ways would be some far-off, cold, distant God who doesn't care about the low-life, sinful people here on earth. But that is not our God. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Even though God is high, even though he is lifted up and his thoughts and ways are higher than ours, he does not remain far off, distant, and cold. Rather, God asks us to let go of our human thoughts and ways and enter into his because his thoughts and ways are best. We have to be very careful not to let our thoughts about God put a ceiling on God's love for us. The Pastor John Calvin says this, God is infinitely compassionate and infinitely ready to forgive so that it ought to be ascribed exclusively to our unbelief if we do not obtain pardon from him. What he's saying here is this, it is a, our wrong view of God that makes us think that we are unforgiven or unforgivable. I don't know what you walked in here this morning with. I don't know what's in your past, but nothing, and I mean nothing, you could have done or are doing or will do can outdo the cross, can outdo God's forgiveness for you. Nothing. So what do we do? In Isaiah 55, and God invites us three times to enter into his thoughts and waves. He says that first he invites us to come to him and buy without price. Look at Isaiah 55, 12. He says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? We live in a transactional world and we're tra with transactional relationships, right? We need water, milk, food, gas, clothing, all of those things, right? And we pay for it. That's transactional logic. You have a good. I need that good. I give you money. You give me the good. That's how it works, all right? Many people see God this way. God, God offers eternal life, offers heaven. I work for it. You give it to me. That's how, that's how we think God works. But that's not how it works. You see, transactional logic only works temporarily because we have to continue to keep working for it. God's way is different. God's way says that we can have satisfaction, eternal satisfaction for free. He says this, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You do not want God to be a wage payer. We do not want to earn things from God because what it says here is that the wages of sin, what we earn, if you have a wage, you go to a job, you get a wage, you get what you deserve for what you've done, right? The wages of sin is death. And he's not talking about just physical death. He's talking about eternal separation, forever separation between us and God, what Jesus called hell. That is what we've earned. But 
the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God invites us to come to him for free. He invites us to experience eternal satisfaction in him and him alone. And that is not dependent on us getting our act together, on us earning it. It is not dependent on us keeping ourselves clean, but us taking our mess to him. Second, he invites us to listen to him so we can eat what is good. Isaiah 55, 2 and 3, listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come with me as Come with me, come to me with your ears wide open, listen, and you will find life. We oftentimes think that we have what it takes. We think we know what's best. There's a common saying that says, God will never give you more than you can handle. That isn't even a little bit true. But God will never give you more than he can handle. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, we don't have what it takes to figure out this life. So God invites us to listen to him, to listen to his voice, his thoughts and ways, because they lead to life. And then third, he invites us to call upon him. He says, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. You see, God is not far off. God is not distant. God is not angry with you. His heart overflows with mercy and with grace towards you. You can go to him in every and any situation. If you remember one thing from this message today, I want you to know this, that whenever you sin and you will, Jesus is not standing far off, shaking his head like, man, I can't believe I have to forgive you again. No, Jesus wants nothing more than for us to bring those messes to him so that he can overflow his compassion and his grace and his love and mercy on us. So God's thoughts are nothing like our thoughts and his ways are nothing like our ways, which is good, but that leaves a question. So what do we do? What do we do? Because none of us are equipped to handle this life. God invites us to go to him to find soul satisfaction during any circumstance. So let me ask you some questions. What circumstances are you going through right now that you need to run to him to find soul satisfaction? Let me ask you this. When things go bad, where do you go for comfort? Where do you go? Distraction? Self-medication? Regular medication? Food? Retail therapy? Because I don't know about you, but I think that I'm just one more Amazon purchase away from satisfaction, right? Like, everything's going to be great. I just need this thing, right? Is there anything better than that brown box sitting on your porch when you get home, right? There's a million different places we turn for soul satisfaction, but they're all transactional. They're all temporary. God calls us to turn to him because he's, whole, he's the only one who, through the Holy Spirit, what we learned about last week, could bring us true peace and comfort. What about this? In what area of your life... Do you need to listen to God so that you can eat the good fruit and experience life? Let me ask you this. Where, where do you get your information, your direction, your orders from? You know, is it, is it, where do you turn to in a time of need? Is it yourself, you know, your spouse, your friends, blogs, social media, culture, self-help books? Because let me ask you this. How much do they really know about you? How much do they really know? How often do you invite God into the decisions and situations of your life? Or do you just kind of go through life trying to figure it out? 
I mean, do you pray before big decisions, little decisions? Often, this is what I do, like, I'll have a problem, and I will try everything I can absolutely positively think of, and then when all of that is gone, I was like, well, I guess I'll pray. So stupid. Like, why would I not go to the creator of heaven and earth who knows me absolutely perfectly to invite him into my problems? Why would we not seek the direction and the wisdom of the one who created you, knows exactly what you need, what you should or shouldn't do, who loves you more than you can understand and wants good for your life? I think sometimes because we're afraid of what the answer might be. Because we think we know what's best, right? So my challenge and my encouragement is to make it a point to bring God into the equation every day. At the chapel, we talk about four ways that we use to find God, the row, the circle, the chair, and go, all right? The row is what we're doing here this morning. You sit and you worship together. You sit under teaching from a pastor or myself. The circle is having a group of people that are a part of your life who know you well enough to be able to ask you some difficult questions and and to know you well enough to give you some direction in your life. And then the chair is time that we, we... we call being daily with God, a time where you carve out of your day, where you set time aside to listen to God's word, to talk to him. Do you do those things? Are you inviting God into all of your life, or is God just a Sunday morning God for you? What part of your life do you need to forsake so you can experience God's mercy and forgiveness? And this is the one where you're going to dislike me. Let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life right now that might be keeping you from God? Not keeping God from you, but keeping you from God. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's not explicitly wrong, but it might be wrong for you right now. Maybe you have a hobby, a pastime, but it's a time waster. And maybe it keeps you, you know, unplugged. Maybe it keeps you distracted or not engaged with your family or God. You know, for me, I said it last week, my phone is a nightmare to me, and I love it. I love social media. I'm not, I'm not condemning it. But I told you, I'm afraid that when I get to heaven, God's going to pull up a pie chart of how much time I spent on my phone versus how much time I spent in prayer. And I've learned that that's something that I need to to let go of. Is there something that you're so focused on, it's so important to you that it maybe makes other people feel unloved? A decision, maybe there's a decision you should make that you have been putting off. Maybe there's a conversation that you should have. And like I said, this may not be be anything wrong. Maybe somebody has brought this up to you, be like, you know, you spend a lot of time doing this, and you're like, okay, well, it's not wrong, it's not sin, which is true. Neither is eating your shoes, doesn't mean it's a good idea. Maybe there are things in your life that, like I was saying, aren't explicitly wrong, You wouldn't call them as sin, drinking, smoking, swearing, all of those things, but maybe they are sin because they are, it's a good thing that you have turned into a bad thing and it's keeping you from God or it's keeping you from loving other people. What in your life is, might be causing you to push God just out of reach? Because sometimes we have to let go of something good in order to get the thing that is great, which is God. And maybe you agree with this. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, yeah, sure, all of that is true, right? But you're not quite sure why it's important or why you should actually do anything about it. And here's why. When we put God into a human-sized box, when we think that he is like us, he thinks like us, he acts like us, he forgives like us, right? We put a ceiling on who he is and most importantly, his love for us. It is so important for us as followers of Jesus to have an accurate view of God so that we are willing to trust him, 
to listen to him, to go to him with our problems, and to seek his direction and listen to his voice. And more importantly, understanding that his ways are not like our ways gives us a clear view of his incredible love, his incredible grace, and his incredible mercy. So let us together turn to Jesus for comfort, to seek him for direction, and to turn away from the things in our lives that keep us, that keep him at arm's length. Let me pray for us. God, I am so grateful that your ways are not my ways, that your thoughts are not my thoughts. God, I have learned the hard way so many times. I do not have what it takes to figure out this life, to make it through this life. But God, you do. You created every single person in this room. And not only that, God, but you, you bought them through the price of your son. And so God, would every single person that is hearing this this morning be willing to humble themselves, to be willing to recognize that you are God and we are not, and to listen to your voice and to do what you call us to do. Father, lead us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning and worshiping with us. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you next week.